Hear the word of our Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in the first verse. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Old Testament reading for this evening, as it has been since Ash Wednesday, is from Exodus chapter 20, beginning in the first verse. Hear the word of our Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Next week is Holy Week. And since Ash Wednesday, we have had a Wednesday night Lent streaming service in which we pray a litany together and we go over these Ten Commandments. To answer the simple question raised by 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for what sins did Christ die? We understand that God's morality is contained and explained in these Ten Commandments, so they encompass all of human behavior, whether in obedience to these Ten Commandments or in disobedience to them. And as we go each week through them, we have learned that the vast bulk of our activity, the enormity of human actions have been in disobedience. From the first commandment, which we violate by being hopeless idolaters without the regeneration Christ offers. We looked at the second commandment, you shall not take God's name in vain. And we understand not only do we make God himself look bad with our sins, our false doctrine, our refusal to learn, but indeed as a Christian, one who bears the name of Christ upon his very title, we find ourselves violating this every single time we sin at all. The third commandment, to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, or to sanctify the holy day. We learned that the vast majority of the time we are not putting our thoughts about Christ. We are not doing everything as unto the Lord, as the Apostle Paul tells us to do in the book of Colossians. We are not even paying attention as the word of God, which heals and strengthens and edifies us, is being read aloud to us. We read the fourth commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And none of us deserve that wonderful and precious promise from God's law because we are all hopelessly rebels. And we inflict that same spirit of rebellion on our children when we refuse to honor our father and mother and treat our children poorly. And last week we covered, you shall not commit adultery, which has the distinguishing feature of being the sin that people most likely enjoy more than anything else. This week we get into some competitors with it. Today we are going to cover two commandments that these days are severely closely linked. You shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. 
Now we understand every commandment in the Decalogue has a mirror commandment. You shall not murder equals you shall preserve and promote life. So every time we are neglectful in a matter of safety, we have violated the fifth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. The flip side of that, the mirror commandment, is you shall be faithful unto your spouse and cleave unto them. But when we get to stealing, unfortunately, there is a definitional problem. If I look at stealing as taking that which does not belong to me, I have undersold it. If I look at the mirror commandment, for you shall not steal, as you shall give, you shall be generous, you shall provide to those in need, I have undersold this commandment. For to steal something is not just to wrongfully take that which does not belong to you. Stealing a candy bar is indeed an act of theft, which violates the seventh commandment. If I steal a car, I have indeed stolen. There is no doubt about these things, and we are commanded not to do so. Nobody argues with that. But, what happens when we refuse to give that which suddenly belongs to someone else? If you don't pay a bill, have you sinned? You know that you owe that money to somebody. It properly belongs to them. But if it skips your mind and you forget to pay it or you tell yourself, I just don't want to. I shouldn't have to. In fact, I'm going to call this company and argue about this bill, even though I know they're in the right, so as to not have to pay it. Oh yes, that is an act of theft, according to Holy Scripture. You are to pay what you owe. And more so, this also applies to taxation. Why does St. Paul tell us Christians in Romans chapter 13 to pay our taxes? Because to not do so is to refuse to give what should rightfully belong to another, including the government. Now, you might ask, well, why is that? And don't you know what our government does? Don't you know about the wars? Don't you know about the terrible things they're funding? Oh, we know, but Scripture still tells us to pay our taxes. In part because at the very, very backlog of those taxes is funding and benefits that go to your neighbor. How many of us knows somebody that's on food stamps or something equivalent if you're not in the United States of America. If you refuse to pay your taxes, doesn't that mean that you are telling your neighbor, I would rather you did not get that benefit? Because of my personal self-chosen disagreements with giving them my money. I want to say that it is mine. It is my property. You cannot have it. Ah, that makes me a thief in God's eyes. That means that I am preventing 
the state from doing something that shows love to my neighbor. This happened as far back as Rome, in which our beloved apostle St. Paul tells the Roman church, pay your taxes, because those very taxes also paid for the security of the state, so people could live normal lives. Was Rome a godless heathen empire at the time? Absolutely. Was Nero the emperor who was actively persecuting Christians? 100%. But to say, the government is evil, therefore I shall not pay my taxes, or I would much rather this stay in my pockets than their pockets, because I know best what to do with it, is to say, I want my neighbor to be less safe, to starve, and to potentially lose the very house that they live in. That is theft. Refusal to give what you ought to is theft. It is a sin of omission rather than commission. Whereas there is an active committing of stealing where we take what does not belong to us. Truly. But if we neglect to give what we ought, what we are required to give, we are thieves. Now, at the same time, if we should wish to see something taken from our neighbor, why, that too is something of an act of theft, but it does not belong to the seventh commandment. It belongs to the eighth. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, we have hopefully read Dr. Martin Luther's explanation of the Eighth Commandment, in which he tells us that instead of spreading rumors, instead of throwing accusations, and instead of besmirching the good name of our neighbor, we help our neighbor to maintain his good name by trying to put the best construction on things, so long as we do not sacrifice the truth in our efforts to do so. And we also understand the in-befores. Whereas a sin is public, it is perfectly fine to publicly speak about it. But whereas the thing is unknown, we do not go about running our mouths as a gossip or as a slanderer. But here is the problem. Something has developed in recent years. It's not a new formulation of this Commandment. It is not a new way to disobey it. It is actually a very old one, going all the way back to the times of the Old Testament. It is bearing false witness in the legal sense, or in the societal sense, a civic fashion of bearing false witness. King Ahab wanted a garden. He offered money for the garden, but the owner of the garden did not want to give it to him. So Jezebel, Ahab's wife, concocted a plan to have paid false witnesses in front of all of Israel, accused the man who owned the garden of blaspheming God and sinning so gravely that he must be stoned to death. And so it happened. At the garden of Gethsemane, our Lord Christ was taken away from the apostles who scattered immediately. And then he was taken before the high priests and the elders. The elders of Judea and all of the, high, the priests, all of them got together and tried to find what they tried to find, false witnesses. Something to accuse our Lord Christ of saying that would merit death 
according to the law of Moses. It is a very old sin, but it's making a comeback, beloved. Now, we call it cancel culture these days, and I know. Uh, hold your eye-rolling and calling me a boomer for it, for using that term, cancel culture, but it is real. We have a societal urge these days to say that somebody who disagrees with us, somebody whom we do not like, must be destroyed. All that they have that belongs to them must be taken from them. And now we would not go so far as to steal. But what we will do is, well, commit some libel. Say some things that they didn't really said and attribute it to them. Or twist their words with the absolute worst construction so that everybody close to them sees that and says, You are a monster. We want them fired. We want them unemployable. We want their children to starve. We want them absolutely wrecked. And we employ false witness to do it. And as usual, it does not matter if the individual to be canceled, the person after whom the mob comes, said anything controversial. After all, at least in this country, supposedly such is their right. But we learned we can put the thumbscrews on everybody in the world if we just force societal consequences over our ability to bear false witness, to twist their words, take everything out of context, and render them impoverished. Can you, can you imagine anybody in your life that's gone through that process, being quote-unquote canceled, having to move, being chased out, threatened with violence, all of these things, all because a person or group of people decided to bear false witness? decided to ruin somebody's reputation and their good name, all on account of stupid, superficial reasons. I'm pretty sure <clears throat> all of us know at least one person. But that said, we've all done it to some capacity. We all know that person we just don't like, so we speak ill of them. Even if they haven't done anything wrong to us, even if they wouldn't hurt a fly, we all know that person who just grinds our gears in just the worst possible way. Something about them that annoys us and we don't want to hang out with them. We certainly don't want to be with them. So whenever somebody brings that person up, we run our stupid mouths and besmirch their character in front of our friends, our co-workers, our colleagues. How often have we done that with political figures we don't like? Presidents, congressmen, members of parliament, our local governor, our police force. Have we, honestly, can we examine ourselves and ask whether we have borne false witness about them? This is directly, these days, tied to the seventh commandment, you shall not steal. Because the ultimate desire is to take something from them. Not that you could have it. Oh no, you don't have to have that person's good reputation. No, you simply want their good reputation taken away from them and a whole lot of their physical possessions as a corollary. You know, a nice little addition. The icing on top of the sin cake. We have decided as a society that that's what we're 
we've decided that this makes us good people. Because virtue signaling, oftentimes, is bearing false witness as well. We want to feel like we're good, righteous people by condemning others. And we can say all that we want that the others engaged in this are good, righteous people for doing the same thing. But we are bearing false witness about them just in a positive light, making their character good. But our society engages in the same thing. Raise your hand if you believe that all the history that you were taught in school was mostly lies. Oh, I'm sure of it. Our educational system loves to pour lies into children's heads about who was the good guy, who was the bad guy, and how you ought to live your life in light of who they told you was the good guy or the bad guy. Lying about whether certain historical events happened, lying about the individual people and their character, making some out in historical figures, some of them, they make them look like the devil himself, almost replacing the devil with that individual. To the point now where I can say, pretty firmly, that all of Western society right now is built on a foundation of false witness. And that is as it has been for at least the past, oh, I don't know, 80, 90 years? as well as stealing. These two sins, a one-two punch hitting all of the world. Because the very same people who would tell you in your history class that X, Y, or Z happened because these people were bad and these other people were good is also the same group, the same government, the same everybody that decided they were going to, well, raid the world of all of their natural resources and strong-arm smaller countries into doing what they want uh, taking the currency they want, and I'm sure you already know about all those individuals. Our society is built on it, at least in a civic sense, both stealing and bearing false witness. And Christ died for that. Christ died every time you did not give your possessions or your money to those whom you have got to give it to. Have you passed by a bum on the street and decided, oh, he's just going to use that money to get drunk? Christ died for that. He died for your refusal to love somebody who was down on their luck, down in the dumps. Did you ever laugh at a junkie? Somebody that you knew needed help and you were in a position to help them, to tell them to get off of the dope, to get off of weed or whatever other drug or substance when you could have given your time and your resources to love your neighbor by warning them against it, offering them help, even helping pay for some sort of rehab program to restore your brother if you refuse to do it because of your pious moral disgust at their lifestyle. You're a thief. If you refused to give taxes when they were due, you were a thief. Same thing with any other bill. All those people crying out that student loans were, are so evil and they should all be forgiven. Oh, I agree with them. 
But until such a time as the state tells them and tells the banks and all the lenders, this debt is no more, we are having a jubilee. If somebody says, this was unjust, therefore I'm not going to pay it, they are a thief. And should they then decide, I'm going to attach myself to a social cause and destroy people's lives for sport on account of my ability to twist their words. Yes, you're bearing false witness. If you engage in society's love for lies, if you support that which you know is false about our histories, about our conflicts, about who was the good guy and who was the bad guy, you are bearing false witness. You are an accomplice to an entire system of theft and false witness. Oh yes, every collaborator in these current systems is both a thief and a false witness. Every single one of them. And our Lord Christ died for it. They nailed him to a cross. Can you imagine how much blood would be shed on that day in which the crucifixion happened if a single drop was shed to the ground for each and every lie you told? For each and every time you thought you got one over on someone? Maybe you participated in a little bit of fraud. Maybe you thought it was okay if nobody saw you taking what you took or taking the benefits of another that they should have had. Christ saw it. And if there was a drop of blood for every single time, even just this year, people engaged in this, the world would have been drowned again. We would have had to see another ark, a second Noah, for the absolute worldwide flood of blood shed from our Lord Christ, dripping from his hands for your deceit, for my false witness, for my refusal to give. Confession time. I'm guilty of this. No pastor is immune to sin. We had a medical bill. My son fell, fell on the ground, uh, broke a small bone. We had to go to the doctor's office, get him patched up. He had to move. And of course, eventually the bill for that, we saw it. It was a lot of money. And I merely did not pay. I didn't think that I had the money and I did not want to go into debt to pay off the hospital bill for it. I sinfully ignored it. Which means that during those months, as much as I wasn't aware of it till I started really thinking about it, there were nurses that may have been furloughed, and I contributed to that. There was equipment that was life-saving that I could have helped pay for by paying what I owed, but there is a very real possibility that my negligence to give what I ought to have given to that hospital network could have led to somebody dying or being severely injured. Such is the blackness of my sin that I confess before you now. Now, upon realizing that, I paid that bill today. Meditating upon the seventh commandment will do that to you. I wholeheartedly repent of that sin, knowing that I hurt people for my refusal to do it. For me thinking it was okay to make them wait a grand total of 
12 months. Actually, 13 months by now. That they really could have used that. Whatever people say about uh, pandemic this or that, hospitals are understaffed and under-equipped. Christ died for my negligent infliction of suffering on a hospital, on a nurse, on patients. And Lord knows I deserve for that sin every single malady that belonged to those people. Everything they suffered on account of me, I deserve that suffering, but Christ died for me. That he can say, I have died for this man. He does not any longer deserve the punishment which was merited by his actions. And so every time any of us runs our mouth, any time any of us refuses to give or gives too little or takes something which does not belong to us, Christ has died for you to remove the punishment that cascades all throughout the world. He died to say that no longer applies to you. So that it is no longer justice if somebody steals from you. If somebody refuses to give to you out of a lack of charity, now Christ says, because this one is washed clean in my veritable ocean of blood, he no longer deserves that. I love him. And he is counted innocent before the Father on account of my death for him. Moving forward, next week is Holy Week. And we have two more commandments out of the Decalogue to discuss. But before we get to that, let us think and meditate upon all that Christ has died for over these seventh and eighth commandments. May he lead us to a holy and righteous repentance. Now the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.